This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. We are rolling into week number nine of the college football season with a marquee top 25 battle. Number three, Clemson. Number 12, Florida State. Rockin' Rich Sermonello. Dope Campbell Stadium will be rocking tonight. Doesn't get better than this. Marquee battle tonight. Clemson and Florida State in Tallahassee. The Tigers and Dabo Sweeney will be looking to knock off the Seminoles to move on to their national championship hopes in the ACC. It's a marquee battle. Clemson won that ball game 23-13 to last year. Rich Sermonello, are you with us? I can hear you in stereo here in the studio, but we are having some technical difficulties. We'll get Rich Sermonello back on the line, but this is a marquee top 25 battle between the Clemson Tigers and the Florida State Seminoles. Clemson did pick up a 23-13 to victory in Death Valley last year. We shall see whether Clemson could step up on the road. Deshaun Watson and that offense, can they move the football against the Seminoles' defense over the last three games now? That is only allowing 87 rushing yards per game. Dalvin Cook will need a big game. DeAndre Francois will need to step up on the national stage. We'll see if they can do it. A big key note in that battle is FSU wide receiver Bobo Wilson will not be uh, playing in this battle. He is not cleared to play. That'll hurt Florida State's offensive hopes. But we're just getting started. This is what it's all about. Two straight hours, top 25 action. Rich and I will be breaking it down, and we do have a great show planned for you today. 10.31 Eastern Time, former Auburn Tiger. Willie Whitehead will be joining us. We'll get Willie's take about Gus Malzahn and the Auburn Tigers as they move on in SEC play today in Oxford against Chad Kelly and the Ole Miss Rebels. 11 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be joined by Akron head coach Terry Bowden. Terry Bowden and the Zips coming off a disappointing loss, 41-20 to in Buffalo on Thursday night. But they do have... Bowl aspirations the last three games of the year. They're five and four. We'll get Coach Bowden's take about the Zips. And then there's a big, big game on the West Coast in Utah tonight. Salt Lake City, Washington, and UW go on the road to face Utah seven and one overall. We'll get former safety Washington Husky safety Tony Parrish's take about this team. Can Washington and Jake Browning get a breakthrough victory on the road? We'll see. Rich Sermonello, are you with us? This is what it's all about. College football week number nine doesn't get better than this. Still waiting for Rich Sermonello to get on the line. We are having some technical difficulties. You could follow me on Twitter at Go for the Two. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. I-E-L-L-O. Some games of note on Thursday night. Virginia Tech with a very impressive road victory in Heinz Field. 39-36 to over Pittsburgh. Friday night, South Florida with a, a solid home victory over 22nd-ranked Navy. 52-45. to 
Flowers and company moved on. They dominated the fourth quarter. We're up by 24 points in that battle. Held on for the seven-point victory in Tampa last night. Air Force trailed 14 to nothing against Fresno. Did move on on the West Coast to win that ball game, 31 to 21. And then Danell Pumphrey and Rocky Long dominating road victory in Utah State, 40 to 13. Very solid defensive effort by the Aztecs in that ball game. They stepped up on the offensive defensive lines, and they did get a quality road victory in Utah State. We're waiting for Rich Sermonello, still not with us, but some things I want to talk about as we move on. Teams of disappointment. I mean, when you look at some teams in 2016, it's been a very inconsistent year out of the top 25 overall. Outside those top four or five teams, you can look at Alabama, you can look at Clemson, even though they had a, a close victory at home a couple of weeks ago against NC State, they continue to win. You look at Washington and you look at Michigan, and even a team like Louisville that dropped their game to Clemson in Death Valley still continue to roll. But outside of that, the top 25 this year, very inconsistent teams like Notre Dame, teams like Michigan State, Texas, Stanford, UCLA, a team with Josh Rosen that was by many picked as a possible dark horse to compete for a national championship this year. You look at their record, I mean, very disappointing teams in the top 25. And here's one that I'll throw out now after their lackluster loss a couple weeks ago uh, to Navy and then follow that up with a disappointing loss last week to SMU. How about Houston? After that week one domination of Oklahoma, Houston now has two losses on the year. And one of the hottest names in college football, Tom Herman, he's not so hot anymore after the last few games. Greg Ward Jr. and that offense have cooled off. Here's another one, Oklahoma. Big game Bob Stoops. He has the 125th ranked passing defense in FBS, 125 of 126. Oklahoma allowing 342 passing yards to opposing offenses. You're not a top 10 team when you do that. I'm sorry. You shouldn't even be a top 25 team when you give up that many yards in terms of your secondary. Rich Sermonello, I hear you chomping at the bit. Week number nine doesn't get better than this, does it, my friend? Uh, can you hear me chomping at the bit, Joe? I can, Rich. We have a marquee okay. battle in Tallahassee tonight. The stage is set. Number three versus number 12. Uh, I mean, initial thoughts about this ACC clash. Yeah, it's interesting for me, Joe, because we're used to this being the game that automatically decides who wins the ACC Atlantic, who goes on and wins the uh, ACC title. But in this case... You know, Florida State's going to have a chance to be spoiler. Clemson undefeated, looking for a playoff bid again for a second straight year. Florida State has a couple of losses, less likely to win. They'd need a lot of help to win the Atlantic. So I'm going to be curious to see how much passion, how much intensity Florida State has, knowing that the likelihood that they go on and win the ACC is very slim at this point. I just got into the inconsistency of the top 25 outside the top four or five teams. And you can, and I mentioned them, Clemson, Alabama, Michigan, Washington, and I threw in Louisville there. Uh, outside of that, we've seen a very inconsistent top 25. And, and when you look at it, you can tell by the way the teams are ranked. Texas A&M loses by 19 points to Alabama, even though they played very well. They're still in the top 10. Ohio State yeah. loses to Penn State. 
they're sitting at number six overall. I mean, if the top 25 overall was a strong caliber of teams, we would not see both of those teams in the top 25 after last week's performances. Yeah, I, I think it's the parity that we have in college football. I think it's the expectations for teams like Ohio State. I think Texas A&M has earned that throughout the first half of the season. As you mentioned, Joe played very well despite the loss against Alabama, leading 14-13, uh, coming out of the halftime break. And, you know, there just aren't a lot of great college football teams right now. You have Alabama. I think you kind of have everyone else. I know Michigan's uh, looking for that opportunity to crack in and join Alabama as an elite national championship contender, but we've seen flaws in every other team in the country. And because of that, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a team that can beat Alabama right now. I hate to kind of have to put a spoiler alert out there, but it really is Alabama and then a huge gap for the rest of the country. Well, we'll see Alabama on the road in a tough environment mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge next week with a hot LSU team, both teams coming off a bye, and then more importantly in that victory over Texas A&M, the loss of Eddie Jackson, the leader of that secondary How will that affect the Crimson Tide defensively, schematically for Jeremy Pruitt? We have to see. We'll break that game down. But that's a key factor for the Crimson Tide moving forward should they make it to the SEC championship game. When you break down the top four teams in the country, that that could be a a factor as well. Listen, I I think the one thing going for... Uh, Alabama is you're going to have time. Obviously, we're not going to get into LSU right now. We have time. But then if you look at the SEC title game, Joe, who in the East that can come out of there, which passing attack would frighten Alabama at this point? I mean, it's not Florida. I don't think it's Tennessee. That's all you really have in the SEC East. I think Alabama will be fine. They have the great corners. They have a next-man-in mentality. So I think they'll overcome the loss of Jackson. We're just getting started. If you want to talk college football with Rich and I, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. We're going to be breaking down all the top 25 battles. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network College Football Game Day. We're going to be breaking down the 12 o'clock games. Rich, there's two big ones. Penn State and Purdue. Penn State with that breakthrough victory 24-21 to over Ohio State. Monumental uh, special teams play where they blocked the extra, uh, blocked the field goal and took it in to, for the go-ahead score. When you look at Penn State overall on the road, I mean, a lot of people think that this could be a tough game. I see Penn State starting to buy into a James Franklin's mentality and philosophy now. And I look at this Purdue team that's given up 249 passing yards per game and 249 rushing yards on the ground. I think Saquon Barkley and the the offensive line wear down Purdue in this matchup. Yeah, you know what? It's an interesting game for for me, Joe. I I always am curious about teams that are on the rise, how they handle prosperity. You have the Herculean upset of Ohio State, possibly the pivot game for that program. But but now they go against Purdue, a team that is down. Do they have the same passion? Do they play with the same intensity? Uh, This is a very curious game. I'd like to see Barkley, to me, is a given. 
I want to see that intensity from the defense that they showed against Ohio State. Played phenomenally well in the second half. Brandon Bell at linebacker. Garrett Sickles up front. If they can play well against Purdue, I know this sounds a little bit strange because Purdue is a team that's not going to uh, play in the postseason, but if they could play well in a game that, you know, the, the obviously the motivation is lower, I'll be very impressed by what James Franklin is doing. Well, here's the thing about Penn State, and I like Penn State today. I think they dominate this matchup. If you followed Purdue, very inconsistent from week to week. They had a solid road effort on the road in Lincoln last week, losing that ball game by 13 points to Nebraska, but it was Nebraska looking ahead to Wisconsin a short week with their coach Daryl Hazel fired uh, new coaching staff that new optimism but now it's the longer week and I look for James Franklin to have the coaching advantage in this matchup and I look for Penn State secondary that's only given up 183 passing yards per game to really handcuff David Blau in this matchup and I think Penn State dominates this game by about 24 points. I don't think Purdue has the offensive weapons to really challenge them. I just don't think they're consistent week to week. And I think Penn State runs away with this game. And listen, you talk about intangibles at this point. You know, we're almost into November, Joe. Penn State is ranked. Penn State is, hey, listen, Penn State is in the Big Ten East race at this point. They could, you know, with some breaks, they can remain in the race throughout the month of November. What is Purdue playing for? They have the interim coach. They're going to be waiting for a new leader uh, once that uh, guy is hired, probably in December. So, you know, Purdue playing out the string. Penn State a lot to play for, so the intangibles obviously favor the Lions as well. We're going to come back with Louisville and Virginia. Last two games have been decided by eight points. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonell on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, live from New York City, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Two great games in the top 25, Nebraska and Wisconsin later tonight, Rich. Want to jump right into it. You look at this battle since 2011. Wisconsin has won four of the last five by 26 points per game, playing very well. Uh, a solid road victory in Iowa, 17-9 to last week. But I like Tommy Armstrong and the Cornhuskers defensively playing much better, only giving up 17 points per game and 124 rushing yards per game. But that's secondary to me, playing much better than they did a year ago. I like the Cornhuskers in the upset. Do you really? Wow. I, yeah, I, I have been killed all week by Husker fans because I, I they think I'm not giving Nebraska <laughs> enough credit. But I'm having a hard listen. Impressive. They've taken care of business. Uh, a team that struggled last year in Mike Riley's debut. They've learned how to win close games. And I'm not dogging Nebraska at all. I've been impressed by this team. But I still question, Joe, who have they played? I know they can only play the teams that are on the schedule, but I think there is reason for cautious uh, pessimism at this point because you haven't beaten a quality opponent. You've struggled against average teams. The offense over the past month against the likes of uh, Illinois and Indiana has been suspect. Now you have to go into Madison against the best D that you faced all year. 
I, I have a hard time seeing where Tommy Armstrong has success against that Badger defense. Well, Hornibrook and Bard Houston from the quarterback position have played very well in the system. And that offensive line for Wisconsin playing much better than they did a year ago. Last year, they only averaged 150 rushing yards on the ground. This year with Corey Clement, they're up in the area of 173. And you know Paul Chris loves to work off a of play action. I've been very impressed with Wisconsin's defense, their ability to run sideline to sideline, especially in run support. They're only giving up 102 rushing yards on the ground and only giving up 14 points per game as a scoring defense. The one thing I look at when I look at Wisconsin is turnover margin. They're minus one entering this battle. And on the flip side with Nebraska, I mentioned they're giving up 218 passing yards to opposing offenses. Last year, they were in the area 295. And we had Ralph Brown on earlier in the year talking about the scheme and the breakdown in terms of coverage. Their third down defense is phenomenal, Rich. It doesn't matter who you're playing. They're only allowing opposing offenses to convert 32% of the time. And they're plus five in turnover margin when you carry that on the road i like that statistic and i like the way armstrong's playing he's not turning the ball over hey listen joe if you're right that would be a huge seminal victory for mike riley and the huskers because then you know you basically put them in the big 10 title game you put them in the discussion for even a fringe long shot contender for the playoff, if they can win in Madison, it would really be impressive. But again, I'll go back to offense versus defense matchups. I like Tommy Armstrong. He's a good, not great college quarterback. He's mobile outside of the pocket. But as I watch film of him, not just this year, but last year, more than most quarterbacks, Joe, he really struggles as a passer when he feels the heat. He's not great on the move. He's not great when he's feeling pressure. He's going to see a lot of that from the likes of T.J. Watt, Vince Beagle, both of whom will be healthy tonight. I think that is the problem. Can you move the ball on the Wisconsin defense? Listen, Wisconsin's going to have problems moving as well. I don't think either team gets out of the 20s in this game. I have a 26-16, but I would be very surprised if Nebraska could pull the upset. Well, you're right about Tommy Armstrong, and the reason why Nebraska was minus 12 in turnover margin last year was due to the fact of Tommy Armstrong's inconsistency in terms of his reads and progressions in Mike Riley's system first year as head coach. But I will say this. You look at Tommy Armstrong overall last year, 400 rushing yards on the ground, seven rushing touchdowns, already entering week number nine. It's a different quarterback. They're allowing him to improvise and put pressure on opposing defenses on the perimeter. He's already rushed for 380 yards and six touchdowns. That's where he's most effective. That's the way Bo Pelini utilized him, where when he breaks contain, he can improvise and then and tuck it and run, whereas first year last year under Mike Riley, I felt that they, they forced him to become a pocket passer, even though he's got big play-wide receivers. He's got Stanley Morgan Jr. He's got Westerkamp, who does return for this ball game. I feel like they forced him in the pocket, something that doesn't really utilize his strengths. I feel like now yeah. they're, they're more attributed to his, his strengths as a, as a quarterback. To your point, Edge, Nebraska, no question about it, at the most important position on the field. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure, especially after Hornerbrook got pulled briefly last week for Bart Houston. I'm a little unsure about what to expect from Paul Chris quarterbacks tonight. So advantage Nebraska in terms of experience and overall playmaking ability. But I am still a little bit dubious about the Nebraska D, Joe. I, I don't know if we've seen enough, and I don't know if we've seen enough from their level of competition 
So again, I like Wisconsin. I expect to see some, uh, some maybe some a little bit out of the bag of tricks of Paul Christ in terms of using uh, Jazz PV, maybe fly sweeps, direct snaps. I think he'll be a little bit more involved in the offense. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be low scoring, but eventually Wisconsin pulls away. Now Wisconsin got this victory in Memorial Stadium last year with a last-second field goal. If you watch that ball game, it was nuts in the last minute and a half of the ball game. So uh, Wisconsin did get that victory in Lincoln last year. So it was a, a game just like you said, twenty-three to twenty-one. The Badgers mm-hmm. prevailed. We'll see because last time Nebraska was here, they gave up a school record or NCAA record to Melvin Gordon in terms of total rushing yards in a game. So look for the Cornhuskers to want to uh, sort of erase that performance in Camp Randall two years ago. And one concern also, which we haven't mentioned, is Jack Cicci, the uh, the leading tackler of Wisconsin, inside linebacker, good run stuffer, outstanding player from sideline to sideline. He is out for the year. I think it's a pec muscle injury. He's done for the year. So although Wisconsin will be very strong on the outside with T.J. Watt and Vince Beagle, you've got a new starter on the inside. That's something to watch this evening as and, well. And you look at Wisconsin's defense. They are rock solid, 19 sacks through seven games. They're allowing opponents to convert only 24% on third downs. And think about the teams that they have played, Michigan State, Michigan. I mean, solid Iowa, uh, solid performances. And that secondary does have 13 receptions through uh, the first eight weeks of the season. So that's a secondary that has stepped up last year. They only allowed seven passing touchdowns all season under Dave Aranda. So they're following through in 2016. Another Pac-12 battle, and this is really going to shape whether Washington can be in the playoff, goes on the road for a a great matchup in Salt Lake City against Utah. They've won two of the last three, Washington has, by 18 points per game, but Utah did pick up a 27-17 victory in Seattle last year, but I love this matchup, both blue-collar teams, Rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, it's really going to define the Pac-12, Joe. Uh, you know, we assume right now that Washington is the cover boy for the Pac-12. It's the team that they're going to put forward and say, this is our playoff contender. But that could change this afternoon in, in Sac Lake City. You know, if you lose to Utah... In the blink of an eye, the Utes are now the front runner to go ahead and win a Pac-12 championship. I don't think it happens, but I do believe it's a fascinating matchup between two very physical teams, two outstanding defenses. You want to focus on the line of scrimmage in this game. That's where the best play will be taking place. Yeah, Rich, Rich and I will be breaking this game down in greater detail after we're joined by former Auburn defensive end Willie Whitehead. He, He'll, he'll be joining us. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, we were talking Penn State and Purdue. I like Penn State to win this ball game by about 20 to 24 points. I look for Barkley to break out. I look for James Franklin to keep the momentum going. I've been on Purdue all year, but I just think they're very inconsistent. (laughs) And now I'm picking against them in this battle. I know. (laughs) 
I was going to say, can 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 somebody cue up Ebony and Ivory? Because you and I are just like the opposite when it comes to Purdue. This is a week I like the Boilermakers. It might be the first time. It probably is the first time all year. I, I would take the points, not because I'm bullish on Purdue, but just because I, I think it's impossible for Penn State not to be down. You have... You know, the whiteout last week, you have the monumental upset of Ohio State. You have everybody talking up Penn State. They're ranked for the first time in ages. And now they have to go on the road to sleepy Ross-Aid Stadium to play Purdue. I just can't see them being up for this game. They win, but I would take the points, Joe. See, that's why I like Penn State. I think they go in there focused. And, and again, the coaching perspective, it's an interim head coach. Now you have the full week of preparation. To me, I don't think that that's an advantage for Purdue. I give the edge to Penn State and James Franklin. But we'll see how it plays out in about an hour and a half a little bit later today on ES. ESPN. Here's another one that I like. I like Virginia with the big points over Louisville today. Last two games, Rich, very, very close. 38-31, Louisville got the victory last year in Kentucky. Two years ago, Virginia struck the upset against Bobby Petrino, 23-21. I like Virginia to keep this game within the 33-and-a-half points. I think Louisville wins, but I'm not so sure that Lamar Jackson just puts up 70 points on this UVA defense. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one area where I, I would expect to see Bronco Mendenhall have success. He's, he has some good parts on defense. Micah Kaiser at linebacker, Quinn Blanding, the safety on the back end. There are some good players. It hasn't all come together in Charlottesville this year. I think it's going to take until at least 2017. Louisville, the rest of the way, Joe, it's all going to come down to intangibles and motivation. They know they can hammer anybody that's left on the schedule. Will they bring it for 60 minutes? minutes who knows i mean they didn't against duke and obviously they didn't cover uh, the following week against nc state they did so i, I think louisville is going to be a bit schizophrenic throughout the month of november when rich and i come back we'll give our breakdown and prediction for this game we're just getting started stay with us this is joe lisi rich sermonello breaking down every game on the college football slate live from new york take a quick break stay with us you're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Rocking and rolling live from New York College Football Game Day. Auburn, one of the hottest teams in the country, travels for a marquee SEC West battle against the Ole Miss Rebels. What better way to talk Auburn football than with a former standout? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Auburn Tiger and former New Orleans Saint defensive end Willie Whitehead. Willie, how are you today? I'm great, Joe. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. The Gus bus, Willie, just keeps on rolling over 500 yards of rushing offense in a dominating home win over Arkansas last weekend. What does this team have that really seems to be turning it or turn the corner in terms of Gus Malzahn's coaching ability? And more importantly, what does the team have to do today to pull off the road win over the Rebels? Well, I think uh, really the main thing is just staying focused, doing what they do best. Um, they have the, the one of the, the most dominant, you know, rushing offenses, you know, in, in, in college football. So just really playing that game and, and, and doing, you know, doing what they do best. Uh, uh, Petaway has been – he's been phenomenal. Uh, on Johnson is back in the fold. You know, I mean, th- these guys are doing great. And, and everybody is – 
they're, they're clicking now. I think they're, they're all clicking in the offense, and, you know, everybody's playing their role, and, you know, it's the offense is hitting on all cylinders. So as long as they play their game, they'll be fine. To, to, yeah, they, they, they play their game uh, to the best of their ability. They'll be fine. Willie, Rich Sermonello, let's talk your side of the ball defense. Uh, Carl Lawson looks like he's having his breakout season. Uh, talk a little bit about Carl and his role within uh, what Auburn is doing this year. Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's, we call playing the, that buck position now in that four two five defense. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's giving him uh, more uh, more free um uh, more, more, you know, just, just more free time to really to roam, roam that defense, and they can move him around um, one side to the next uh, to the other. So, uh, just, just gives him more time to get after the quarterback, and he, he's doing a phenomenal job. I mean, job. I mean, I've known Carl since uh, and worked with him a little bit as a senior in high school, and the kid is a phenomenal talent. You know, speed, his strength, uh, being able to get off the ball, working his pass rush moves. I mean, he's awesome. So. Uh, he, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. Willie, when you look at Auburn's defense, it's been almost a 360-degree turnaround under Kevin Steele. They're only giving up 198 passing yards per game, very solid in run support. But what has Kevin Steele done from a scheme perspective that Ellis Johnson and Will Muschamp weren't able to do? Because you look at the sack total last year, 19 total sacks, which ranked 104th out of 127 teams. This year they're bringing it and they're getting quarterback pressures. Well, I think one of the main things is that they're they're, they're giving uh, offensive uh, the offensive offenses different looks, you know, and um, you know with with the increase in the linebacker play and the way that the secondary has stepped up um, has, has, has been a big difference as well. Um, the, the, the secondary has been has been a big plus, but those guys are just really playing more like a team playing together. You know, it's no, it's no single individuals that are standing out, but they're playing more as a team. When you, you know, you play more as a unit, then you, you have more success. Do you get the sense, Willie, that the entire program kind of feels like Gus is off the hot seat, and that has contributed to the consistency that we're seeing on both sides of the ball? Uh, I, I, I think that that's part of it. You know, I think that's part of it. But I think they, they've really. Uh, started to to gel together and just made a decision, you know that that, that they're going to to not allow so many you know uh, so many points that they're going to to be a dominant defense. I mean, once as a unit you make that decision, then it's you know it's hard to stop them because everybody is is doing you know they're, they're playing to the best of their ability. They have great talent, so they're doing everybody's playing to the best of their ability. Uh, for the better of the the better of the team. So when when you when you're playing like that, you know it's it's hard to stop you. Um, it, it really is similar to the defense of uh, the, the national championship defense. They played that way and and had that spirit and just you know and and, and um, they just made up in their mind that look we're going to be a dominant defense now. It's time that that we all step up. Willie, do you feel like this team can be the team to knock off Alabama? Many think it's possibly LSU next week, but the way they're playing football right now, entering week number nine against Ole Miss, do you feel that this team could possibly beat the Crimson Tide in the Iron Bowl? Yes, without a doubt. I I definitely think so. I mean, you know, I know everybody feels Alabama is the juggernaut right now, 
But uh, you know, Alabama. Everybody has their their, their, their weak uh, weak points. Alabama can't be beaten, but uh, I know Auburn. The way Auburn is playing, they definitely have a, a great chance of beating Alabama. Willie, have you been impressed by the staff's ability to manage Sean White? Obviously, he's not the focal point of the offense. It's been more of a ground and pound. I have been impressed by the staff. Give me an idea as to what it takes, you know, in order to maximize the personnel that you inherit. Well, I think really it's, it's the, uh, first of all, it's the guys believing in the system. You know, that, that has to be number one. They have to believe in what the, the, the scheme of the offense, defense, what, what, what the coaches, um, the position that the coaches are putting them in. And then the, the guys just really um, understanding their role and, um, and just, you know, playing to the best of their ability in that role, you know, and, 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 and letting that, putting their, 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 their attitudes to the side, egos to the side, and, you know, playing for the betterment of the team. So when you do that, then you're, you, you know, you have a, a greater chance of being successful. And I think that's that's what Sean is doing, and in the, uh, the running backs the rest of the offense. So it's it's it's, it's great the way they're running it right now. Willie, to, to piggyback that sentiment, that's been the issue over the last couple of years now has been the lack of production in terms of the rushing offense. The year that they made it to the national championship game, they were in the area of 328 rushing yards per game with Nick Marshall. The following year, they dipped down to 255 rushing yards per game. And last year, they were under 200 at 196 yards per game. How much did the coaching staff want to get back to the rushing attack that we've seen dominate in recent weeks because, I mean, any rushing attack that can rush the, run the football for over 500 yards on the game in a game can control the clock and dictate tempo. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I, j- just with, with them, you know, having that, I mean, the, the, the pound attack with, with Petaway and, and uh, with carry on that, that one-two punch, I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And the way those guys are, 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 are changing in and out, rotating in and out, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I know, you know, carry-on's been hurt, but I think that they, those guys are just really um, – the, the, the coaches, you know, mainly have, they've made a commitment, you know, to, to um, really put more – put a lot of confidence into the run game and into those guys getting the yards. And they're, they're coming through. You know, they, 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 they're, they, they're stepping up their game, and they're, um, they're playing phenomenal. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It really is. I'm – I'm excited to see, you know, how, you know, just the production even going, you know, in, you know, for further games in the season, you know, how far they go. Willie, it's always a pleasure. You've been a great friend of the show. Great information as Auburn makes its way to its bowl or possibly an SEC championship game. We'd love to have you on again. Great information. We hope you enjoyed it today. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely enjoyed it, Joe. Thank you so much. That was former Auburn Tiger defensive end Willie Whitehead. Willie, he, uh, Rich, he was a former walk-on that went on to just an outstanding career in the NFL, and it's just a testament of his work ethic, a great player in his days in Auburn, but more importantly, his days in the NFL. 
Yeah, listen, I love a good walk-on story. That's always been a passion of mine covering this sport over the years. The kid that has the the grit, the intensity, the uh, the work ethic to overcome after being overlooked. And obviously, Willie is one of those uh, great examples from uh, from a generation ago. It's an interesting battle that will be taking place 7 o'clock tonight. Can Auburn keep the rushing attack going? Over, since week two, Auburn's rushed for 338 yards on the ground. On the flip side, Ole Miss is allowed 238 yards on the ground in their last four games and Chad Kelly's only thrown three touchdowns in the last four games with four interceptions we're just getting started stay with us Joe Lisi Rich Sermonello Fantasy Sports Radio Network Back on the college football game day show, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Right here, Rich and I were talking Louisville and Virginia. And I said the last two games have been decided by a total of uh, nine points, Rich. And I like Virginia in this battle. I just think they'll play this game a lot closer. I think they'll run the football with Mizell, get into a lower scoring game ball control drives. I mean, Louisville is clearly the better team with a more complete team, led by uh, Heisman Trophy candidate Lamar Jackson, best player in the country, possibly. Uh, I just think Virginia at home much closer than people think uh, this Saturday in about an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, listen, for me, everything really comes down to where is Louisville's head. I mean, if Louisville wants to beat and is motivated for four quarters, Joe, to beat Virginia by five touchdowns, I think they're capable. Yeah. I, but I think if they start tapping the brakes after halftime and, and Lamar has put up his Heisman-worthy numbers, I, I think you could see the team that, that struggled with Duke. They're going to win the game. I think it's just a matter of whether this is a three, four, or five touchdown victory. Here's an intriguing battle. BC and NC State. I like Boston College here. They they had the emotional loss of a teammate uh, that was killed in a car accident last week. Patrick to- Patrick Tolls might not play in this ballgame. I think that actually benefits the offense. Quarterback Darius Wade, who was the starter last year when he broke his ankle against Florida State, will probably get the start. But this defense, giving up 190 passing yards per game and only 102 rushing yards on the ground, I think will keep the Eagles in this matchup. And traditionally, Boston College plays NC State very tough. I think BC will be in a position to strike the upset later today. I don't see it, Joe, only because BC has no offensive pop. I think with tolls potentially out, that really diminishes their chance of moving the ball on NC State. Listen, the, the, the Wolfpack had a really difficult game against Louisville. They were swamped 54-13, to but this is still the team that beat Notre Dame, that should have beaten Clemson. I, I think they're better than they looked last week against the Cardinals. I think they're out to prove it against the one-note uh, sort of vanilla BC offense. I, I like NC State going away. You, you're you on NC State. We are yin and yang today. I, I because know. now you're on Purdue. You're on yeah. NC State when I've been on them yeah. all year, and now you're I'm, off I'm, them. I'm calling for a contract extension for Dave Doran today all of a sudden. What's happening? We'll see how that game plays out. Keep in mind, it is homecoming in Raleigh today, 1230 oh, p.m. That's even start. more of a reason. Uh, that's why I it's love like- Boston College in this battle. But Rich and I are just getting started. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll roll through all the 12 and the 330 games live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. 
Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, when Rich and I left off, we were talking about that Washington-Utah battle. I Like I mentioned before, Utah won last year 27-17 to in Seattle. It's a great landscape in Salt Lake City. And you look at that matchup last week on the road in the Rose Bowl, a dominating road performance by Joe Williams, 332 rushing yards, four touchdowns on that Bruin defense. He was retired four weeks ago, Rich. Yeah. Yeah, I love the story. To me, it's quintessential Utah. It's quintessential Kyle Whittingham. You're right. He was banged up. He was tired of being banged up. He wanted to spend more time with his fiance, so he retires from the sport. And then Utah comes calling again. They needed a back. They had injuries. The kid comes out. He's rushed for more than 500 yards over the past two weeks. I love the story. But I think it doesn't have a happy ending today against Washington because one-dimensional offenses are not going to have success against that Husky defense. Ironically, as you know, Joe, the quarterback of Utah began his career in Seattle with the Huskies, Troy Williams. Not a very good passer. I don't think he'll complement the running of Joe Williams uh, very well. So I think Utah sputters on offense. You get enough from Jake Browning. Uh, uh, yeah, the Washington quarterback. So I like Washington in a very tough environment. A real important game. They're going to be they're going to be tested this afternoon. I can tell you this: this game will have hitting and hitting and hitting because when you talk defensive physicality, that's one thing Kyle Whittingham brings with his teams. I mean, two years ago they led FBS with Nate Orchard with 55 total sacks as a unit. This year through eight games, 22 sacks as a defensive unit, only giving up 21 points per game, holding opposing offenses to 36% on third down conversions, and more importantly, a team that creates turnovers, plus eight in turnover margin. You look at the flip side with Washington, Rich, tops in turnover margin, 14 plus 14 entering this battle, and in the tops of total sacks in the country, seven games, 25 total sacks. So these defensive front sevens understand what it means to play physical style of defense. And that I'm really going to take in this game because I love that style of play and I just want to enjoy it. But I think Utah will be in this game from start to finish because of their balance on offense. They're still passing for over 200 and running for over 200 and they're at home in this ballgame. You know, it's almost as if uh, an SEC game is going to break out in Salt Lake City today because that is the mindset of these two teams, whether it's Chris Peterson or Kyle Whittingham. You're right. They play good defense. They'll hit. They'll run the ball. I I just like the explosiveness. Where is the explosiveness on Utah? Whereas with Washington, you have Miles Gaskin out of the backfield. You have John Ross. Him coming back this year to health has really helped the development of Jake Browning. He's big on special teams. He's an explosive wide receiver. And I would encourage any of our listeners to watch that Washington defense. A lot of those kids you're going to see at the next level, whether it's Sidney Jones or Buda Baker on the back end, Azeem Victor, the linebacker, Elijah Qualls uh, in the trenches at defensive tackle. So a very deep defense that I think is going to give a lot. I think it's going to be close. I would take the points in this game, Joe, but I still believe Washington survives and really enhances their reputation as a playoff contender. Well, well, we're on the same page because I do think Washington wins about a three or a four-point game. They're, they're laying 11 in this battle. 
I think that Utah will be in this game from start to finish. It's, it's a very difficult place to play. And the way you have to beat Utah is over the top. They struggle traditionally with speed teams on their schedule. Their secondary has given up 243 passing yards per game. You look at what Browning has done in Chris Peterson's system. 68% completion percentage, 26 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's been very clean with the football, and they have speed on the outside. So that's why I like them to get through this game, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I think we're going to see this game at possibly 10-10 at half, 14 apiece at half, and then in the fourth quarter, Washington will do, do just enough to skate by, but it won't be easy. So I'm with you. I think Utah plays them very close to the vest today. Yeah, I would expect nothing less from this Utah program, and it doesn't matter when they have injuries; they they tend to regroup. They'll they'll you know we talked earlier about uh, walk-ons. They they have a very rich walk-on system. They'll they'll take their two-star players and develop them in, that develop them into NFL players. So I think it'll be close throughout as well. And, and listen, as dominant as Washington has been, they were taken to overtime against Arizona earlier this year, won that game. So I, I I would be I would take those points. I have Washington. Washington winning by a touchdown. I probably think it's a little higher scoring than you do. Here's here's another one that we're going to jump right into because there's so many games we have to get to, and we have a great slate of guests mm-hmm. on tap. West Virginia and Oklahoma State. West Virginia just continues to roll. Dominating performance in Morgantown over TCU last week. Dominated that game 31-10. to Oklahoma State now waiting in the wings. This is a team we really haven't heard about. I like the speed of Oklahoma State here. I like James Washington, J.J. McCleskey's son, Jalen McCleskey. I think they can attack that secondary of West Virginia that's given up 233 passing yards per game, and I like the mild upset here in Stillwater. I, listen, I won't argue with I disagree with you. I, I think West Virginia, I'm, I'm looking for that game where West Virginia stumbles, and, and the more I watch this team, both offensively and defensively, their, their offensive might, their defensive prowess, which I didn't expect, I don't think this is the week they go down. I, I'll go with the Mountaineers. I think they win 35-27, to 27, have not been impressed by the Oklahoma State defense this year. I like Oklahoma State's defense in this aspect. 35% third down conversions to opposing offenses, plus 7 in turnover margin. And they're creating some sort of pre- uh, pressures on opposing quarterbacks. 18 sacks through 7 games. They're giving up 260 passing yards per game. They're giving up 181 rushing yards on the ground. But Mason Rudolph and that offense, lethal, passing for 336 yards through the air this season. When we come back, we'll get Terry Bowden's take about his program. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. Back on College Football Game Day, live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, we're going to get into some 3.30 games right now. Ohio State and Northwestern. Ohio State disappointing loss in Happy Valley. Northwestern continues to roll. This is an under-the-radar team that's catching 27 points in Columbus later today. But I still think Ohio State is too strong on the offense and defensive lines. I think they cover this number later today. Uh, listen, I, I'm taking the points I have at Ohio State 35, Northwestern 16. I, I think it's a tough matchup for the Wildcats. I understand that. I would expect Ohio State 
to be as motivated as they possibly can be under Urban Meyer. Having said that, I really have been impressed in the month of October by Northwestern on both sides of the ball. Uh, that Justin Jackson, their running back, Austin Carr at wide receiver, Clayton Thorson, their quarterback, is playing well. But it's really been the defense when you look at Anthony Walker, uh, Godwin Igwebuike. I'm hearing great things from NFL scouts about his future on Sundays. They really are a talented team for Pat Fitzgerald. So I think they'll hang around. Ohio State still has some issues, played poorly on the offensive line last week. So Ohio State win. I'll take the points in this game. Let's stick in the Big Ten with the big battle in East Lansing. I say big battle because it's a huge rivalry between Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State, as you know, knocked Michigan out of the possible playoff Mm. scenario last year with that dynamic last play touchdown on a punt. I mean, I I don't understand how that happened to this day, but still, East... uh, Michigan State got the victory in uh, Ann Arbor last year. Uh, uh, unbelievable. Now they come back home. They've lost five straight games. Disappointing road performance against Maryland. I think they, if you're going to muster any type of performance, it's going to be today. Michigan wins, but Michigan State covers the 24 and a half, 25 points later today. Yeah, we disagree again. I mean, I have this game 49-3. to I think Michigan State opens with a momentum-building field goal, and then they don't score for the rest of the day. I mean, I think Jim Harbaugh wants so desperately to embarrass Michigan State. He has the perfect year to do it. He wants revenge for last year's loss, which you referenced as you got into this game. Michigan is far more dominant. Michigan State has issues, particularly at quarterback I think this is a complete rout in East Lansing. We'll come back with our thoughts about this game, but I will say Michigan's third down defense, 13%, number one in FBS. They're only giving up 111 passing yards per game. We'll take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He hits the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is college football game day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the three. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day. For those that don't know, Akron was one of the worst college football programs in the nation back in 2012. In 2011 and 2010, they were a combined 2-22 and overall. Coach Terry Bowden, the former Auburn head coach, formerly of North Alabama, took the job in 2012. He turned that program into a winner in just four straight years. He brought the program their first bowl victory ever and their first winning season since 2005. They knocked off Utah State last year in a a breakthrough college football bowl performance. What better way to talk Akron Zip football than with their head coach? He He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in current Akron head coach and personal friend, Coach Terry Bowden. Coach, how are you today? Joe, how you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm having to, to uh, overcome a tough loss uh, against Buffalo. Uh, and it's those tough ones because it's one of those where you, you just didn't look like you were ready to play. And uh, 
But that's part of football. You got to move on and go forward. Well, coach, you're five and four overall. One more victory, and you will be bowl eligible for the second straight year. But just a fantastic job in terms of what you did in turning around that program in just four short years. But the biggest thing that I noticed was that you changed the culture of the program, the mentality. You turned it into from a loser into a winning program where the kids now expect to win each every week Joe you know it's funny because that's exactly right and and this I've been a head coach 23 years at five different institutions and every one of them where you're changing a losing program to a winning program there's a culture of winning and losing just a mindset that you've got to change and the the crazy thing for the first time I think since I've been at at Akron the mindset changed changed a little too much you know there's the culture of winning that you're trying to establish, but then it becomes you got to be careful because you think you're going to win just by showing up, and that you have to you have to guard all. If you look at teams that go out there and have bad games, whether it's Ohio State versus Penn State or Virginia Tech versus Syracuse, no matter where how far you rise, you've got to go from that culture of losing to that culture of winning. And then when you get to that culture of winning, you got to make sure you don't have letdowns and just think you have a right to win that you're going to show up and win. And that becomes the next thing you have to worry about. Coach, it's Rich Sermonello. Uh, When I think about your career trajectory, I I think Uh of Frank Solich. Um, Talk about, for our audience, the challenges of going from former SEC coach, now a MAC coach, much smaller, smaller budget. What are some of the challenges that you've dealt with in that regard? Well, I I just think, you you know, and I've been very fortunate because I'm, I'm like my father. When I started coaching football, I started coaching at Salem College, 600 students. You know, Jimbo Fisher was my quarterback. We didn't have anything. I, we, we drove the bus to practice to get kids to practice. We lined the field. And so I've been the head coach at Division Two, Division Three, and Division One, just like my old man. And that's just kind of – you learn to, to, to coach every level. When I, got, when I left ABC Sports after 10 years to come back into coaching, I just wanted to coach football. At Akron, unlike uh, when I was at Auburn, you don't have the bus. You don't have three – three planes sitting in the parking lot waiting to fly you where for recruiting. You don't have uh, uh, any kid you want to go after. You've got to find the niche players that can play at that mid-major level, the group of five level. And, but, but you know what? It's, it's extremely rewarding. I, I just love what's, what's happening at Akron. I love the opportunity at Akron to take a program and try to take it and elevate the program. But you do have to understand there, there are different budgetary situations at all levels. But you know what? I, when I get in that tunnel, getting ready to walk, run out for a game, the thrill doesn't change. From back when I was 26 years old as a head coach at Salem College, and now that I'm 60, I'm the head coach at at, at uh, uh, Akron. That adrenaline, that excitement, doesn't change at all. Coach, when I look at the facilities, I mean, in terms of recruiting, uh-huh. I mean, top-notch facilities, second to none, in my opinion. I mean, they rival some of the bigger Power Five conferences. How important was that in terms of turning around the culture and in, in terms of turning around the program from a losing one into a winner now? You, you have to do it. The school has to make a decision somewhere along the line, and Almost 10 years ago, maybe eight or nine years ago, the university decided to build a brand-new on-campus stadium, brand-new on-campus indoor football field facility, uh, and it changed everything. It changed the commitment. I mean, I'm old enough, and having coached long enough, to remember when Louisville wasn't at that commitment. I remember when Louisville was one of those has-been programs. You know, they, kind of, they are one of the top programs, but somewhere along the line, they made a commitment to their program, to their salaries, to their stadium, 
and I can go on and on. My dad, when he went to Florida State University in 1976, they averaged, I think they averaged 17,000 a game, and they were about to drop football. And somewhere along the line, they won and made a decision and a commitment. So I think everybody, if you want to have a good program, you kind of somewhere along make the commitment. And then there has to be some 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 things that you can build your program around. You're in a great recruiting area. Uh, you've got uh, you're in a perfect conference situation where you could be competing. You're not you're not, and I don't say this to be disrespectful, but you're not the the Vanderbilt of the SEC. You're not in a difficult situation because of certain things. Now, we we have not, in, in 30 years as a Division One program at Akron, we had not had an eight-win season. We have not had a lot of success, but those things that you have to do as a university uh, uh, are necessary, are in place. Now, does that mean we're there? No, we're, we're, we're just a little over halfway to where I think we need to go in this program, and we're coming off a very, very tough uh, butt-whipping. Butt-whipping, that's what it was, to Buffalo. Uh, but still doesn't change the mindset of what we're trying to accomplish here and where we're trying to go. Coach, let's talk personnel real quickly. Uh, one uh-huh. of your players that has really impressed me, and I love to look at freshman versus sophomore mm-hmm. development. Ulysses Gilbert, your linebacker, mm-hmm. is one of those players that's kind of gotten on the tarmac this year. Could you talk a little bit about this Florida uh, product? Yeah, you know, he's from Ocala area. He's six foot one, two-ish, 220. Now, the tough thing with him, he's replacing Jatavis Brown. Now, Jatavis Brown came out of Belt Lake, Florida, 189 pounds, started as a freshman, six foot 189. And, and the problem is when, he, when, when, when Jatavis got to be a senior, he was 228, and he was a MAC defensive player of the year, and he's starting right now for the San Diego Chargers as a rookie and led the team in tackles a couple of weeks ago against the Broncos. But, but Ulysses is taking over his position, and, the, and, he's in, and he, now he runs a 4-4. He's a great speed. He's got that Florida speed. And he makes 15 tackles, 17 tackles. He gets around the ball. The toughest thing for Ulysses Gilbert is not to compare himself to Jatavis Brown as a senior. He needs to compare himself as to Jatavis Brown as a sophomore when he was learning how to play still. But Ulysses has – the key is they got great speed. Those kind of guys that can really play linebacker, if they can run, Ulysses is 20 pounds heavier than Jatavis at the same age, but he can run the same speed. So he, he's got a lot of learning to do. He's still he's – still, you know, inconsistency is a little bit what comes with youth, but his playmaking ability uh, is what makes him have a chance to have a great career at Dr. Akron. When I look at your quarterback coach, Tommy Woodson, I mean, to me, he looks like a more confident quarterback this year. I know he's battled injuries, but even in the loss on Thursday night, he looked like a confident quarterback that really understands the system now. How important was that to have success the rest of the year, understanding and and him being a confident quarterback the rest of the way? Well, it's critical to us because we're a quarterback-centric program. I mean, we – we, we copy our, our our offense. We kind of mimic it after Bo, uh, Bo, Bo Baylor last year, Bowling Green. It's very, very quarterback-centric. If, if, if he's got to be able to play. And Tommy hurt his shoulder, missed three games, uh, could not warm up for Thursday night. That was a surprise. His, his, the shoulder re-injured. He couldn't throw in pregame. He tried to go in the game, and really he, he did all right in the second half. He was struggling to make it through. Uh, and he's our number one. So the the, the – the, the good news is that he's feeling better and he's coming along because he's had, when he's been on, he's been incredible. The bad news is because we've made a commitment not to be, to being a quarterback centric offense like some teams do in this guy. You're really at the mercy of that. But Tommy Woodson understands what we do. When he's healthy, we can be very, very good. When he's not, we're not strong enough on defense right now. We're rebuilding our defense. 
And if we can't outscore people right now, we get into trouble. We get the problems. And that's just what the Cowboys, that's just our identity this year. Where, you know, you, you, when you're rebuilding on defense, last year we had the number one total defense in the conference, number two scoring defense, number three in the nation in rush defense. Right now we, we, we've got so many young people, we're, we're struggling to stop people. And so Tommy Woodson is critical to us because we have to outscore people. Coach, you've done a fantastic job, and I know you're going to do it the rest of the way. I want to thank you for joining us today. Love to have you on again after uh, the, the season's over. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. You're always a great friend, and I love listening to you. Thank you. That's current Akron head coach Terry Bowden. Take a quick break. When we come back, Rich and I will be breaking down the big games. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Back on college football game day when Rich and I left off, we were talking about, uh, I'm trying to think here, Louisville, Virginia. We talked about BC and NC State. I want to talk about West this. West Virginia, g- Oklahoma State. Yeah, Joe. no, that's, we're, we're going to hold that for the next segment after our latest guest. But let's talk about this matchup now, Rich. Baylor, Texas, it's a 3.30 start. Mm. Not a lot of – it does have big title implications in the Big 12. But here's a team that's so inconsistent in Texas. They made Jesse Ertz look like Michael Vick last week, a disappointing road <laughs> performance. I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, Jesse Ertz was running all over the, the field. I could not believe they yeah. were playing man-to-man coverage and, and bringing pressure on the outside, leaving, leaving running lanes in the middle of the field. But again, here's a team that's given up 332 uh, points per game, 263 passing yards per game, and they're going up against Seth Russell today at home. Yeah, it's not a good matchup. I, I have really been uh, disappointed by Texas. Thought they would play better last week. Was wrong against Kansas State. You're right. If you can't contain Jesse Ertz and that Kansas State offense, how are you going to fare against Baylor? I, I don't think it's going to end well. It's it's obviously more than just Seth Russell, Shock Linwood out of the backfield. KD Cannon uh, is as healthy as he's been since the start of the season. That, to me, is going to be the biggest problem. Cannon will take the top off of a defense he can easily take the lid off of this Texas defense. And I, I, I think it's obvious that the writing is on the wall at this point, Joe. Charlie Strong will be fired at the end of the year. It now comes down to who is his uh, successor. Well, here's the thing. I understand the Texas faithful who said, who is Baylor played? You're absolutely right. I'm not making any qualms about mm-hmm. Baylor's schedule. But they are undefeated. They do have more to play for than Texas at this point. And Texas is so inconsistent each and every week. Flip a coin. Which which Texas is going to show up? Is it the Texas week number one against Notre Dame? Or is it the Texas week number three against uh, Cal in Berkeley? Or is it the Texas last week against Kansas State? Or the one that beat Iowa State at home dominating the second half? You tell me because I can't figure this team out. Sign of bad coaching. Uh, I mean, listen, you're, you have young kids. Every team is going to be inconsistent, but that up and down, mostly down, that's taking place in Austin, I, I think that will be the end of his tenure. Uh, and in terms of Baylor, listen, real quick, lots of offensive explosiveness. Doing well on defense, too. I know they haven't played anybody, but look for that Baylor defense to create havoc for Shane Bouchelle this afternoon. Yeah, we'll see how that game plays out. We'll give our predictions on the back end of the break, and Rich and I will be touching about some Pac-12 battles as well. Stanford and Arizona, Wash State, Oregon State. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. 
Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on college football game day, we're going to wait for Tony Parrish to call in in a couple of seconds. But right now, we were talking about Oklahoma State and West Virginia. Intriguing battle, but I like Mason Rudolph's ability to take the top off the defense against West Virginia. I know this team has stepped up, and I thought they would be a surprise team in the Big 12. But again, Stillwater is such a difficult place to play. Holgerson was under Gundy's staff. He got this victory two years ago with Clint Trickett. I don't see it happening today. You know who has a win in Stillwater this year, Joe? Cooper Rush. He's a Central Michigan quarterback. <laughs> I know it was a controversial. No, come on, though. <laughs> they, they allowed Central Michigan in that game. I, I, listen, I... I've been waiting. I've been sort of tepid on West Virginia. Is this the week that it happens? Is this the week? No, I think this is a really good football team, and I think they might be on par with Oklahoma, possibly Baylor, as the best team in the Big 12. I I appreciate what they're doing defensively. Here's the big issue. Love the offensive line, loaded with road graders, led by Tyler Orlovsky on the inside. I think they batter the Oklahoma State front seven, run the ball with Crawford and Russell Shell. So I, I think it's West Virginia 35-27. If you watched this game last year in Morgantown, they forced Oklahoma State to methodically work down the field, and they had that uh – lead much of the first half and Oklahoma State tied it up late and they went on to win that ball game 33 to 26 in overtime I think Oklahoma State will try to get into a shootout with Skylar Howard I think that's the recipe to beat West Virginia I think if you get into that methodical low scoring type of game and when I say low scoring in the Big 12 if you're in the 30s it's considered low scoring I mean I think Oklahoma State will look to get this game into the high 40s 50s where every possession is a score because Skylar Howard isn't as consistent, in my opinion, as a passer as Mason Rudolph, and those wide receivers of McCleskey and Howard can be the difference in that type of game. You're right. Listen, if it's just a quarterback battle, I would give a slight edge, although Skylar Howard is playing well, throws four touchdown passes against TCU last week, so he is starting to become a bigger component within that offense, which has traditionally been run-oriented. But the Oklahoma State secondary versus the West Virginia secondary, that's a mismatch. I mean, OSU has really struggled in pass defense. West Virginia, with kids like Rasul Douglas, who we didn't really talk about too much in the offseason, that secondary has been outstanding this year, and, and I don't think they shut down McCluskey and, and James Washington, but maybe a couple of picks of Mason Rudolph passes, that could be the difference in the game. And, you know, every year, Joe, as you know, we both love this sport. You look for those teams that sort of come out of nowhere and surprise you. West Virginia and Dana Holgerson Wow. I mean, that has really been one of the surprise teams of 2016. And it is. And it's how they run the football. I mean, that's the one thing I think when you look at Big 12 teams overall, they don't really run it out of a spread attack like a read option. Yeah, they do at times, but they can put you they could put Skylar Howard under center and run it between the tackles and I think that that's for me what makes them more explosive as an offense because they can match up against physical defensive fronts that want to ground and pound and they can run the football with Crawford and Shell and in that type of game a la the way they did against Kansas State and still win that type of ball game so I think they're they're they they're like a chameleon they can play both mm. styles I just think that consistency wise Rudolph 
off a better passer, and we'll see how it plays out. That's why these games, sure. in, in terms of contrasting styles, are what makes battles, and to see who could dictate tempo later today. I think the, I think it's high scoring. I think Oklahoma State wins this game. I'll say 48-44. I think it's just one of those high-scoring battles. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I have it lower scoring. I, I think in terms of the uh, battle of tempos, I think West Virginia will be successful. I have it 35-27 uh, Mountaineers. Uh, I would be surprised if, if Oklahoma State can drag them into a shootout, get into the 40s against what I've seen on that West Virginia defense. That would qualify as a, as a big surprise for me. It shall. We'll, we'll get right into the big games now as we're waiting for Tony Paris. We'll t- try to get him in the back end. But let's talk about the big battle tonight, Clemson and Florida State. Marquee battle. I have not been impressed with Florida State as a whole. Start to finish. I don't care. Defensively, they're playing much better. Last three games, they're only a allowing 87 rushing yards on the ground. They had some breakthrough performances started a few weeks ago against Miami. They trailed 13-3 to at half, won that battle 20-19. to That sort of propelled them into this bye week. Since 2011, they've won three of the last five by 18 points per game. But for me, Rich... It is the secondary of Clemson. To me, I think they hold a significant advantage. They're only allowing 166 passing yards per game, holding opposing quarterbacks to 50% completion percentage, have only allowed four passing touchdowns all year, and they have 11 interceptions. And third down defense, huge for me. They are holding opposing offenses to 28% conversions. I think this is a bloodbath, believe it or not. 17 points, Clemson Tiger victory today. Yeah, we'll differ a little bit here, Joe. I, I, I like Clemson as well. On the road, obviously, we know what that environment will be like uh, in Tallahassee tonight. But this is a veteran football team with the experience at quarterback. You mentioned the secondary. I'll broaden that discussion a little bit and say the entire defense, Brent Venables. I think you and I are probably the uh, the beginners of the Brent Venables fan club because we talk <laughs> about him so much. But for good reason. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job. Could be a Broyles Award candidate this year. But defensively, secondary, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But at the line of scrimmage, Clemson D-line versus an erratic and inconsistent Florida State offensive line. I think that's where Clemson really succeeds. Look for Dexter Lawrence. Look for Christian Wilkins. Look for Cleland Farrell. Those players will dominate, in my opinion. I think it's closer than you suggest, but I agree that Clemson wins this evening in Tallahassee to keep their national championship hopes alive. Well, here's the thing that I think you'll see tonight. Now, when I look at Deshaun Watson, he last year he rushed for 1,104 yards, averaging 5.5 yards per carry, 12 rushing touchdowns. This year, entering this battle, only 279 rushing yards on the ground, one touchdown. But I think you'll see him utilize his legs in this battle because of the way Florida State struggled with Lamar Jackson week number three mm. of the season. They're coming off a bye week, so Look, I, I, and, I, and people have said it's not the same offense. It's not. They're more pass-centric this year, averaging over 300 yards per game. Last year, they passed for 291. They rushed for 224. They're only rushing for 169 yards on the ground, but I have a reason for that. I'll get your take about it. I really feel that Dabo Sweeney and the coaching staff sort of protecting Deshaun Watson and, and making the move to the next step because NFL scouts want to see that pocket passer. I, I think they're sort of keeping them behind wraps, but you saw two weeks ago against NC State he got that rushing touchdown he ran more than he did in previous weeks I think you'll see his legs tonight 
It's interesting analysis. Didn't think of it from that way in order to sort of model uh, a poor man's poor man's in terms of mobility. Lamar Jackson, I think that's a great point. And, and I think to further that, I, you might need more out of Watson on the ground, Joe, because Wayne Gallman, although he's going to play, doesn't look as if he'll be 100%. He's been up and down this season. You're going to need some ground production to complement the passing of Deshaun Watson. But uh, Florida State in general, with the exception of Dalvin Cook, possibly uh, uh, Demarcus Walker on on defense, uh, and, uh, they've been inconsistent this year. And I think Clemson has as well, but Clemson gives us a little more of an A game this evening. Yeah, we're going to come back and break this game down with our predictions. You look at Florida State, they're allowing 28 points per game, 155 rushing yards on the ground, and 233 through the air. We'll take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us. Back on College Football Game Day, Rich and I were talking about the 12-30, 3-30 games. And here's another one that's intriguing. I like Washington State tonight over Oregon State. This is a hot team in Washington State. They're only giving up 106 rushing yards on the ground. They're pounding the rock for 116 yards on the ground as well offensively, which allows them to hold the lead. I think they have way too much offense for the Beavers, and I think they cover this 13 points later today. Yeah, they might have way too much defense, too. I, I, that's what makes Washington State uh, so compelling for me at this point as a potential foil to Washington or the Pac-12 North, Joe, is you know we know about Luke Falk. We know about Gabe Marks on offense. We know about Mike Leach and his philosophy to move the ball all over the field. But defensively, their coordinator, Alex Grinch, is doing a terrific job. Uh, Hercules Mata'afa is one of the more underrated players in the Pac-12 defensive linemen. In general, they fly to the football uh, Oregon State does not have Daryl Garrettson behind center any longer. They've they've sputtered for the most part. Uh, so I agree with you. I, I would expect to see Washington State to continue to cruise to that matchup, uh, the Apple Cup with Washington. Yeah, w- when we spoke about Baylor and Texas, we're in agreement, right? We I, I think Baylor, I don't yeah. know if they dominate this game just because they lost to Texas last year. But again, I, can't, I see Baylor winning maybe a 10, 13-point game. Uh, yep. I, I don't see... Uh, I agree. Yeah, right? I mean... Uh, yeah, 37-28 is yeah, what I have. I, don't I, I have it right game. around 10. Texas will have to run the football much the way they did last year in slowing down the tempo. Whether they can do that or not, I, I, I just don't know what Charlie Strong is doing. And I love Charlie Strong as a head coach, but no, I just don't have any confidence in this team as a whole. Here's another team... I, I, okay. No, I was going to say they haven't given us a reason to have confidence, Joe, at this point. We just haven't seen enough consistency from that program. Yeah, here's another team with no consistency. Notre Dame, 2-5 and five overall, plays Miami. To me, I think this game means more to Miami than it does Notre Dame. They need to win four out of the last five just to become bowl eligible. I think Brian Kelly's lost this team. I like Miami to win on the road today. I'm going to take Notre Dame. Oof. I know it's uh, it's it, it listen, it's not it's not a strong seal of approval at this point. I don't know what to expect from Notre Dame. Miami has played very poorly. Have not been impressed by Brad Kaya. I think you're right. I think there's more at stake for Miami, but Notre Dame at home, Deshaun Kaiser possibly looking for an opportunity to impress NFL scouts if he decides to come out early. Brian Kelly has to have a win to just tamp down the pressure a little bit. I'll take the Irish. And you you look at the Irish's remaining games. They still have to play Navy 
Navy. They still have to play VATEC. They still have to play USC. They're giving up 180 yards on the ground. Miami rushing for 168. To me, that's the difference. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello will come back. We'll break them down. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on college football game day, we're still waiting for Tony Parrish. I apologize to those Washington fans. If we don't get Tony on the show this week, I guarantee you we'll have him on in the next couple of weeks. Spoke to him this week, just a big-time player in UW in his days, a former All-Pro Ford, Chicago, and San Francisco don't worry, he will be on the show before the season's out. Rich, we were talking about Clemson and Florida State. For me, when I look at Jimbo Fisher and Florida State overall, very inconsistent. And again, I know we won a national championship, but this team, since they won the national championship, you never know what you're going to get. And I'm sorry, when you're a top five team and you consistently lose the first half of games and don't have a complete performance from start to finish, that's not a good coaching performance. I know they've won games that way, but by be- by if you do that to better teams, case in point, Louisville, you're going to get throttled. So, again, I don't know what's the mindset of Florida State. I don't know if they just feel they can walk out onto the field because they have the, the spear on the helmet and think that they're going to dominate uh, just top 10 teams each and every week. Yeah, Terry Bowden brought that up, I thought, very wisely earlier uh, uh, in today's show in that, you know, sometimes you have to coach up kids to expect to win, but sometimes when they expect to win, you have to coach them up to to continue to bring it for all uh, four quarters and 60 minutes. That hasn't happened with Florida State. Now, listen, you can get off to to slow starts when you have Jameis Winston as your quarterback, as Florida State did a couple of years ago. You don't have Jameis Winston as your quarterback. You have Dalvin Cook in the backfield, but you have a young quarterback. So it's incumbent upon the rest of that team to get off to a fast start, both offensively and defensively. Clemson, to me, has more of a winning persona. That is their brand these days, more than Florida State over the past couple of years. That is why I expect to see them get to get through tonight. And I, I think it'll be a tougher game than you do, but I think Deshaun Watson, Clemson, they know how to win more than, than Florida State does. I will say this, and, and Coach Bowden and our friends for years, and, and, and that's, I love Bobby Bowden as head coach because his teams were, were prepared each and every week. I loved the Seminoles back in the day. I grew up the biggest Florida State fan. I will just say this about Florida State overall. I think if they had Sean McGuire at quarterback, I think they would have been a a more consistent team. I knew he was hurt at the start of the year, but the inconsistency in terms of reads and progressions with DeAndre Francois. I mean, the offensive line has allowed 21 sacks through seven games already. Half of that's on the offensive line. The other Mm -hmm. half is on Francois in terms of not knowing where he wants to go with the football and you look at Dalvin Cook one week he's on the next week it looks like he's looking for the draft he's got the best ability out of anybody in the nation but he's still not the same back that we saw last year where he averaged six uh, 7.3 yards per carry 1693 yards and 19 touchdowns he's only averaging at this point in the season 5.6 yards per carry yeah, you wonder if this is the night where you get a showcase performance, Probably, Joe, out of right? Dalvin Cook. <laughs> yeah, you would think, right? right? I mean, this this kind of a setting, stars want to show up in this kind of a setting. I thought all year long, uh, even preseason, that this could be the moment where you know uh, Dalvin Cook has his 
his Heisman opportunity. If he's going to get into the Heisman discussion, like seriously into the Heisman discussion, he's going to have to blow up Clemson for a buck fifty north and a couple of touchdowns. And he has that potential. But I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, you know, Sean McGuire was a veteran, played well towards the end of last year, obviously got injured and was and was hurt at the beginning of this season. I do wonder sometimes if maybe a little bit of that game manager experienced element would have benefited Florida State and that offense a little more so than the the clearly higher potential, higher ceiling of DeAndre Francois. Well, it's like a risk-reward. You have so much yeah. more upside with De- DeAndre Francois because of his sure. athleticism and his ability to really stretch teams vertically because he does have the stronger arm. But then you have a guy who has big game experience now. He did lose the Peach Bowl, but he had a, a, a sore ankle. He was battered in that ball game, but he was sort of battle-tested in a way, and he came on in, in mm-hmm. terms of relief last year for Everett Golson. Case in point, the game against Syracuse led that comeback. I just think in this matchup overall, now Bobo Wilson's out. How big of a blow is that now? Because instead of having three wide receivers that could really force schemes and and force Clemson to mix up coverages for DeAndre Francois, now you have a big play weapon that's not in this matchup, another guy that loves to go over the middle, and how much pressure does Francois feel with that, with a new wide receiver in the mix? And I know the guys are experienced at this point in the season, but how big of a loss is Wilson in this matchup? Yeah, I think it puts more pressure on Travis Rudolph, who has been inconsistent when he flashes. He looks like a next-level wide receiver, certainly has uh, the size. He has the measurables. It puts more pressure on him. It also puts more pressure on Dalvin Cook as a receiver, terrific receiver. And I, and I think that's what helps him on Sundays is he truly is a multidimensional three-down back, and he's proven that throughout his career. Ryan Izzo, the tight end, puts more pressure on him. You're going to need more of a collaborative effort from the targets of DeAndre Francois now that Bobo is out. And this is a top-ranked team in terms of Florida State, so they can show up tonight. I don't want people to think we're hating sure. on Florida State. I mean, they are plus six in turnover margin. They do have 24 sacks. Derwin James has been mentioned that he might be available for this game. We'll see if it's a game-time decision. Who knows? But Florida State overall is not the same team since they won the uh, national championship back in 2013. I'm sorry, They've had the talent, but we haven't seen that Urban Meyer or Nick Saban type of consistency top to bottom in the regular season. And that's why Rich and I both like Clemson in this battle. I think Clemson dominates this game. We'll see how it plays out. Rich thinks a much closer game a little bit later today. That's why they play the game. So we'll see how it plays out in Dope Campbell Stadium, 8 o'clock tonight. Let's talk about two SEC games, Rich. Georgia and Florida. Nobody's talking about Florida. Meanwhile, they're in the driver's seat for the SEC East. I mean, it really starts this week. They still have to play Florida State, which is a non-conference game at the end of the year. But they also play that battle in Baton Rouge now that was supposed to be played in the Swamp in November. I like Florida here. I mean, two things for me. 50% 50% uh, conversions on third down with Luke Del Rio and that back end in terms of pass coverage led by mm-hmm. Jalen Tabor. They're giving up 132 passing yards per game. Not sold on Jacob Eason in this spot. They dominated this matchup last year. I think Florida runs away with this game. 
Yeah, I, I like Florida. I, I, I don't know if I'd go with running away just because of the nature of uh, the rivalry in Jacksonville and also the nature of the Florida offense. Uh, I don't know what we'll get from Del Rio. I don't know what we'll get from that running game against an up-and-down Georgia uh, defensive squad under Kirby Smart. You nailed it for me, though, Joe. Jacob Eason, rookie quarterback, he's obviously going to be up and down making rookie mistakes. Uh, he'll be a much better player in 2017. But against that pass defense, Jalen Tabor, Marcus May, Quincy Wilson, who I think might be the most underrated defensive player in the country, phenomenal corner, doesn't get as much attention because he shares the same position with Tabor. That pass then, uh, defense, I think, will completely suffocate Georgia. That's where the victory will come this afternoon in Jacksonville. Let me ask you a hypothetical. Florida goes to the SEC championship game and knocks off uh, Alabama, whoever's there from the West. Uh, is this a national, uh, is this a playoff team? Because I think they should be. I mean, I, I, their resume to date, I would say no, but they would have to get through Georgia today. They would have to get through Florida State at the end of the year, and they would have to get through LSU and then whoever they play in the SEC West championship game should they get there. I mean, this we're not talking about Florida. But meanwhile, because we look at that performance in Knoxville, but Luke Mm -hmm. Del Rio did not play in that game. Yeah, no, you're hypothetical. I would completely agree. I mean, if you'd looked at the body of work at that point at what would be 13-1, and you mentioned Florida State, you mentioned LSU, uh, Georgia would go down. I know the beginning of the schedule was very soft. If they wind up being the SEC champion with one loss, uh, no question they would be in the playoff. I think the only question then would become, is it a one-loss Alabama that they've beaten? And if that's the case, then do you possibly have two SEC teams in the mix? That's an intriguing battle. I mean, you look at this defense overall by Jim McElwain. I mean, 12 points per game, 119 rushing yards on the ground. And through six games, they have 19 sacks already, plus four in turnover margin. And they're holding opposing offenses to 27% on third downs. But they have a balanced offense. I mean, they're averaging 30 points per game, rushing for 181 yards on the ground. And with Luke Del Rio, they're averaging 244 passing yards per game. Offensive line playing very well as well. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on college football game day, we left off with Miami and Notre Dame. Rich is taking the points with Notre Dame. I'm going with Miami. I think it's a high-scoring game. Back in the days of 1988, I see a 37-31 Miami victory today. No confidence in both of those teams, but I think Miami can run the football against Notre Dame's defensive front seven. Rich thinks, you think low-scoring or high-scoring? Oh, I listen. I, I think it'll be. I think it'll be uh, low thirties to high twenties in this game. Uh, have not been impressed by either defense recently. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'll spend too much time on this game this afternoon. Let me ask you a hypothetical question: Brian Kelly back next year or no, Joe? Pressure. I think they have to win four of the five. I mean, when you think of the top ten expectations of this team, I mean, they were top ten team heading heading into yeah. the season. And make no mistake about it, Virginia Tech is legit. They're six and two now and playing very well under Justin Fuente and now Darnold's got that offense rolling for uh, USC now with a yeah. dominating victory over Cal so uh, this team could possibly be three and I mean three and nine or four and eight I mean does he stay after that with two quarterbacks yeah. coming back 
Yeah, listen, I, I, I think he's the best coach available for Notre Dame right now. Sometimes a, a good coach has a horrible season. That has happened. Uh, I don't know if the pressure reaches a point where they make a change or not. A lot of times it comes down to what would be, you know, plan B? I mean, who is it? Who who would be that next guy? And are you confident that he's better than Brian Kelly? So that's going to be one of the interesting sort of epicenters of the hot seat uh, discussion over the next Yeah, month. I'm going to give two upset specials now. I like South Carolina over Tennessee. Last three games decided by eight points. I think it's a lot closer than people think. And this is the outright upset right here. I, I think Arizona State over Oregon. Five o'clock kick. I know they don't play well on the road, but I like the Sun Devils over the Ducks in this battle. Your thoughts about both games? Yeah, not even sure that would be a huge upset at this point. I mean, the teams are sort of on par in terms of their personnel. Oregon having massive uh, problems defensively under Brady Hoke. And uh, give me the first game again, Joe. Tennessee and South Carolina. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Uh, South Carolina gradually playing better under Will Muschamp, number one. Number two, I'm worried about Tennessee after that wave of really emotional, uh, big games, showcase games, everybody watching. Now you got to go to South Carolina. And I wonder if Tennessee's going to give you 100% in this game. I agree with you. South Carolina, more to win uh, today in Columbia. Yeah, South Carolina defense allowing 21 points per game and only 183 passing yards to opponents. We'll come back. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live from New York. Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football is the best. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Final segment of the show, we left off with Georgia and Florida. Since 2011, Florida's won three of the last five, and they've been decided by five points per game. Traditionally, very close matchups, but I don't see this game very close. I think Florida's superior in terms of this team complete offensively and defensively. I like Luke Del Rio at the quarterback position. I think they win this game, Rich, by 17-20. to 20. I know it's a rivalry game, so throw records out the window. I'm just not – and I'm a Bulldog fan, but I'm yeah, not sold yeah, on Georgia that. overall. Yeah, and listen, for good reason, I understand that. But uh, I'll throw in the rivalry factor, uh, the factor that uh, I think Georgia will continue to get better, Joe, throughout the course of the season because you have a first-year coach, you have a rookie quarterback. So I, I think this team will be better in November than it was in September. And I'm just not sold on the Florida offense. Now, I think the Gators win. I have this game 26-20 to 20 Florida, so I think it'll be a lot closer than you think. But at the end of the day, Georgia's inability to mix in the passing of Jacob Eason with the running of Nick Chubb and uh, Sony Michelle. I think that's the problem because Florida is just an absolute beast on defense. One thing to keep in mind, though, Jared Davis, their middle linebacker, doesn't look as if he'll play. That's a big loss for Florida. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Secondary playing lights out for Florida. Last two games, they've held opposing quarterbacks 19 of 54 completions, only 216 yards Four interceptions, no touchdowns. So keep that in mind. Uh, Jacob Eason going up against that defense. Here's this, the matchup. The Gus Bus on the road in the Grove in Oxford. I said it. I mean, this team is pounding the football. And you look at Ole Miss overall. To me, they look worn out. I mean, not the same mm-hmm. team. they were. You saw the fighting on the sidelines last week in Baton Rouge. I mean, this team is one step away from imploding, in my opinion. I go with the hot team here in Auburn. I'm not standing in the way of this defense. Defense and more importantly, the way the offensive line is playing. 
there's no trend that I see right now that leads me to believe that Ole Miss can pull the upset tonight. I mean, other than the fact that this is a home game in Oxford, Joe, I don't like the matchup. And you bring up a really good point. Ole Miss looks spent. What are they playing for? You've got on the opposite side, Auburn is a locomotive, almost literally on the ground. Uh, Alex Kozan and that offensive line doing a phenomenal job. Defense playing exceptionally well, led by Carl Lawson. So I, I think this is a lopsided double-digit win for Auburn on the road. I just don't see where Ole Miss musters up the energy. Even Chad Kelly, the one thing we thought we could count on, not playing well over the past few weeks. It's intriguing because I wonder if he's hurt. He got banged up in that mm. last second uh, drive against Arkansas. He had the first down. He got hit on the shoulder, and he fumbled that football, and then he carried it through to uh, Baton Rouge the following week. I know they haven't said anything, but he's only thrown three touchdowns in the last four games with four picks Uh, is he a banged up and if he's banged up that's a huge loss to that offense because their inability to stretch Auburn secondary vertically a secondary that's only given up 198 passing yards per game and they're not a run heavy offense they like to run out of the read option so if they can't run the football this could be a long day for Ole Miss Yeah, and Chad Kelly is the type of kid, it's one of the reasons why I like him and and one of the reasons why I think he projects well throughout his career is he's really tough. He'll play through pain. If he is hurting, I would expect him to sort of keep his mouth shut and gut through it and want to finish out his final season uh, at Ole Miss. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was banged up less than 100%. You put that dynamic against an Auburn defense, which is really beginning to peak, I think this is a blowout in the second half. And and if it gets to that point, if Auburn begins to roll downhill in the third and fourth quarter, Joe, what is Ole Miss possibly going to do? You know this team is going to quit on the game tonight. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. That's a 7-15 start on the SEC Network. Check that out. Here's an intriguing under-the-radar game when you look at Mountain West Conference. Boise State and Wyoming. I mean, both teams are 3-0, and and Boise State has not played well overall. I mean, they got a 28-23 to victory over Colorado State last week, but Wyoming playing very well. But I like the Broncos in this matchup, their ability to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks with 25 total sacks already. The only thing I don't like is their negative in turnover margin, but you look at Wyoming's pass defense right now, allowing 299 passing yards through the air. I think Brett Rippon can attack that secondary, and I think Boise State breaks out in a big way. 20-point victory or more later tonight in Laramie. I'm glad you brought it up because you mentioned under the radar. This is my favorite as a fan. Really? My favorite under under the radar game, not not a pick per right. se, but this is my favorite under the radar game of week nine because we know about Boise State. We know about the importance to the group of five quests to see who's going to get that New Year's Six uh, bowl game. Uh, 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 December 31st or January 1st. And here comes Wyoming having won three straight games. Uh, Brian Hill has been lights out. They're running back. Craig Bowl finally has this team gradually turning the corner. So from a fan's perspective, the atmosphere in Laramie will be fantastic. I think Boise State wins, but I think this is a very entertaining game in Week 9. See, now I was going to ask you at the start of the show, what was your favorite game today? I'm intrigued with this Tennessee-South Carolina game because to watch a game at night in Williams Bryce to me has me mm-hmm. amped up. So that's one of the games that I'm keying on. Along with Nebraska. 
Nebraska and Wisconsin, as much as I want to see Clemson and Florida State, I want to see Tommy Armstrong and the Cornhuskers on the road. So that game uh, really intrigues me. I'll throw an upset special here before we go. I like Iowa State over K-State today. Quick thoughts. We have about 30 seconds. Wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. I'll tell you why. Iowa State has already proven that they can play with teams like Oklahoma State and Baylor. Again, a team with a first-year head coach, Matt Campbell, that will get better as the season progresses. Kansas State's been up and down all year. Would not surprise me in the least if Iowa State pulls this one out. Tweet us at Go for the Two at Rich Sermonello. We hope you enjoy the games for Rich Sermonello and all of our guests. This is Joe Lisi. Stay with us each and every Saturday, 10 a.m. through 12 p.m. We break down every top 25 matchup in college football. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the games. College football is great. We just love talking about it. College football game day. We're going to go rapid fire, try to get as many games in before 12 o'clock kick. Rich, I like TCU over uh, Texas Tech. Not sold on their defense. I think TCU wins this game 14 to 17 points later today. Like TCU as well. For me, it's all about the Texas Tech defense. Just can't stop anybody these days. Upset special for the most. I like Illinois over Minnesota. I just think Minnesota laying nine, nine and a half points on the road way too much. I know they have Leidner, but I look for Wes Lunt and the crew or possibly Jeff George Jr. to strike the upset later today. I'm concerned about the locker room under Lovey Smith. I think it's going to take him uh, another year, possibly two years, before he gets more of his players in. Minnesota, Joe, with more to play for, I think they succeed in Champaign. A mild upset. Army with the triple option strikes the upset in Salem today over Wake Forest, even though Wake's defense very solid. Not sold on Wolford and Hinton to stretch that defense of Army later today. Here's the concern that I have. I'm big on look ahead. Maybe I bring this up a little too much, but Army looking ahead to Air Force next week. uh, That, to me, I think is going to be a bit of a distraction. I'm going to go with Wake Forest. One more. I like Oklahoma to cover this number against Kansas just because this is the game that Bob Stoops loves to run it up. They're laying 40 and a half over Kansas later today. Baker Mayfield throws for 1,400 yards. (laughs) Yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, here's the thing. Baker Mayfield now has to be discussed as a legitimate uh, top 10 Heisman contender. I won't say top five at this point, but the way that offense is playing, uh, he'll put up huge numbers. One thing, David Beatty is making progress in Lawrence. It's just not showing up in the standings. Here's one that I I think we'll be in agreement. SMU on the road against Tulane. I think it's a bad matchup for Tulane. They got the breakthrough victory against Houston. I think Chad Morris has this team going, and they'll get they'll score early to get Tulane out of their offensive game plan, and they'll win on the road, catching two points later today. All comes down to run defense. Any anytime you're going up against Willie Fritz, uh, Tulane's head coach, you got to be able to stop the run. Impressed by Chad Morris. Just want to make sure that these guys have forgotten about last week against Houston, and they're actually focused on the Green Wave as they head to New Orleans in Yulman Stadium. Stay with Rich and I each and every week. You could tweet us at Go for the Two at Rich Sermonello. Any game we did not cover, tweet us or call us each and every week. College football is the best. Stay with us. Twelve. 10 uh, a.m. to 12 p.m. every Saturday. Have a great weekend, everyone.